This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our own humanity. Batman the Killing Joke was a very special animated movie, the very first one with an R rating. A few years ago, I had some I did some interviews, and some were provided to me, thanks, Gary, about this interesting animated movie that explores the relationship between Batman and the Joker, and even gives us a little bit of the Joker's origin story, too. We'll have all the interviews in just a moment. Batman The Killing Joke is the first R-rated animated feature from DC Animation, based on the classic graphic novel. Controversial as it was when it first came out, it has now evolved into a classic tale between Batman and the Joker. Bruce W. Tim, who produced many of the legendary animated projects, returned to helm this installment. So was this one on the wish list as one of the ones you wanted to do? Uh, honestly, no. No, it's never been on my wish list. It's it's something that I've always kind of dreaded having to do as a movie. So because it's it's problematical. It's not it's not a standard Batman story. It looking at the comic over the years, I kind of went cause every time it comes up for discussion, I look at it and go, it's not it, it's not an action movie. Batman doesn't save the day. He almost doesn't do anything right in the story. Um, it's very very bleak. It has one of the most famously messed up endings of a comic ever and I thought these things are all anti what cinema is all about um, but when we decided to make it we thought well let's let's go out on a limb and just do it the way it is and not try to turn it into a summer blockbuster movie and I, I, I'm dying to see what people think of it I think it's actually quite good myself but we'll see I mean I was always even when the comic first came out, I was always a little bothered by what happened to Barbara. Obviously, it's just a bad thing that happens to her. But uh, just the way it happens is it's kind of a classic, you know, situation where the, the female character is horribly injured so that the, the male characters can go, oh, no, and vow revenge and all that. So she's more plot device than the actual character. When we decided to expand the, the, the film's length to feature length, I really thought it was uh, probably the best thing to do would be to spend all that extra screen time with Barbara as a character. And I think that really worked out great. These things aren't, to be completely blunt, they're not budgeted on a feature film budget. These are actually very, very small budgeted films. Um, they're very low budget. Uh, to me, I think they're, they're, they're really high-end TV productions. I... I if we were going to go forward, I would, I would rather, I would rather know in advance that we were, it was intended to be a feature film, and I would like the, the the budget to be upped accordingly. So I don't know that this is really going to set the paradigm, you know, like reset the paradigm. I think this is kind of a special case because it is the Killing Joke. It's a famous comic. There's a lot of buzz about it. It's the first R-rated one, maybe the last R-rated one. So um, we'll see. I mean, maybe. No, because, you know, we didn't tone anything down. We didn't tone anything down on The Dark Knight Returns. We did the comic pretty much straight straight up. So, And it happened to get a PG-13. And honestly, when we made this movie, we didn't know. It, we thought it was probably a 50-50 chance that we would get a PG-13 or an R. Um, and it ended up getting an R. And the home video people were fortunately very supportive and said, we'll release it that way. So, but, I mean... I'd never had a desire in the back of my brain. It's like, oh, if only we could do an R-rated Batman movie. I don't give a crap about that. I really don't. 
That's not something that I actually. I honestly feel. I honestly feel a little ambivalent about it. I feel a little bit sad that I finally made a Batman movie that little kids really shouldn't be going to see. Because in my heart of hearts, I keep thinking, okay, this is the guy who's on, you know, he's on Batman Bubble Bath and Batman Sheets and Batman Toys, and it's like little kids grow up loving Batman. It's like, oh hey, there's a Batman movie. Oh, you can't watch it. I think it's really smart on a purely marketing level that they go out of their way now to market superheroes directly at little kids with things like the, you know, the DC superhero girls and things like that, you know, the Lego toys and stuff. Because for a long time, it seemed like they were ignoring kids, both in comics and in toys. It was like, oh, the toys, even the toys themselves were like all ripped and badass and, you know, grimacing and all that. And it's kind of like, well you're missing out there's a whole generation of kids who are kind of like not falling in love with superheroes because you're passing them by so I think it's actually makes smart from a, a marketing standpoint to like target them early um, and when you grow up with the characters as you as you age there's things for your age age appropriateness that you can watch as well and enjoy so including toys Mark had famously been saying for years that he would only play the Joker again if it was for the killing joke and I think that was his way of just letting us know that if we ever did the killing joke that he would be really, really unhappy with us if we cast anybody else uh, in the part. Um, so mission accomplished, Mark. Um, uh, and that kind of made casting the movie easier once you know we knew that if we offered it to Mark, he'd pretty much say yes. And then once we got Mark in there, it was like, okay, well then if we have Mark, it would be really, really weird to do this movie without Kevin. So that made that an easy sell to the home video people. And then uh, if you get Kevin and you got Mark, it's like, well, who's going to play Batgirl? Hmm. Well, I guess it better be Tara Strong. So, you know, it kind of made things kind of fall into place a lot, lot, lot easier. I'm glad that we got to spend a lot more screen time with Batgirl. I mean, I've loved the character since like 1968 uh, or whenever it was that uh, Yvonne Craig played her. Um, but uh, I, I, she's always been one of my favorite Batman characters. So um, I would be delighted if we could do a Batgirl solo movie without any Batman in it. Um, but this is like the next best thing for me, you know, getting to spend uh, at least a good half a movie with her as the, the star of the story. To me, Kevin Conroy is the one and only actor who I feel can do Batman in a very classic way. What's it like voicing Batman, like, you know, this type of With the, with R, the rating. R rating. Well, it gives me more room to explore things I hadn't explored before. And to be honest with you, when we were recording it, I looked at the script and I thought, there's no way this is going to stay the way it is. They're going to have to change this somewhere along the line. Uh, and they said, well, just go with it. We're just going to record this and we'll work it out. And then I found out later on they, what they worked out was the rating. They kept everything we did. And they decided, look, this isn't for kids. This is going to be for adults. Mark, the wonderful thing about Mark is he is a stage actor. And there's a difference about people whose background is in the stage. You, you know to approach a character from the inside out. You really have to inhabit the character on a stage. And he approaches Joker not as a a funny voice or a crazy voice. He really gets at him from the inside. He approaches it from the inside. And I wish you could see him behind the mic because he becomes that character. He devours the microphone. I mean, he his whole face transforms. It's a wonderful thing to watch. And I've always approached Batman from that, that same perspective. To me, it's 
it's not just a you know a dark booty sound it's 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 everything that happened to him as a child it's all of that that pain that's what you've got to hear in his voice uh, that's where that sound comes from and so we both we really have an appreciation for each other the way each other works and um, I think we I think we bring the best out in each other I really do I've always felt that way no this is the first time we haven't it's the first time we haven't because of Star Wars um, but I knew having worked with him for so many years what he would do with it um, and I knew he'd knock it out of the ballpark and he did no the trick to me has been not to alter it is to be consistent the fans of this show this character are so passionate they're the most amazing fans of any character I think they would know in a second if I was not being genuine and you have to you have to go 100% you cannot do anything less than 100% when you're doing Batman because they just won't buy it you know it really is he's such a cool character I get asked sometimes what other superhero do you want to play I go what other superhero is there when you start you know with the Maserati you know where do you go there's no other car he is the most complicated the most twisted the darkest wonderful good character I mean he's not this square-jawed you know Superman clean-cut boring character he's complicated and that makes him so much fun to play I'm so lucky to him. yes I did I, I'm, I was I was rooting for him I know there was a lot of uh, online vitriol and I was saying you know give this guy a break he's a wonderful actor let's see what he does with it I think he did a good job I think they're going to literally go crazy for it. I think they're going to love it. I think it's been a long time since a really wonderful um, animated movie of Batman. And it's long over. You know, I wasn't, to be honest. I'm not as much of a comic book maven as Mark is, or Bruce Timm, or, or any of these, uh, Paul Dini. Um, I, I've always had to sort of catch up in that sense because just as a kid I just wasn't as exposed to comic books he, w he would go on and on about all kinds of stuff and I would stop listening after a while to be honest have you ever actually talked to Mark or interviewed him I mean you can't get him to shut up once he starts it's wonderful I mean but he just goes doing a panel with him is brutal because you're fighting to get any you know space to say anything He's got so much information. He's so animated. And I'm being told to get out of here. So anyway, I love Mark. I'm so happy to be working with him. Today. Mark Hamill is back as the Joker, taking time off from Luke Skywalker to voice the crown prince of crime. Even though over the years I've said, you know, if I ever get a chance to do anything with Joker, my, my dream would be to do Killing Joke. And then when they said, okay, you got your wish, I immediately thought, oh, my God. I can't do this. I mean, it's uh, it's too epic. It's 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 Joker's magnum opus. There's no way I can do justice to this. Well, you know, it is flattering that people have accepted my Joker as much as they have, and I have to tell you, I've listened to them all from Larry Storch, Frank Welker, one of my voiceover idols, uh, Lenny Weinrib. Uh, 
you know, it goes on and on. And then and Cesar Romero, when I was watching the television show, his energy. I, that, what I'm trying to say to you, through Brent Spiner and all of the modern-day Jokers, Kevin Michael Richardson, Jeff Bennett, every version, to me, has validity. Every, uh, uh, the one in uh, The Dark Knight, Emerson, is this Michael Emerson? Just creepy and great. I mean, I listen to all of these versions, and I love hearing, if there's no definitive Joker, he will be reinterpreted long after I'm gone because he's just such a great character. I thought, just like George Casanza, i got to go out on the high note because we're never going to be able to top that. And I, I got into trouble because I said, you know, I was talking about how you've got to find the right one to leave on, and it was... Uh, People said I had retired from the role, and then when I came back and did Arkham City, they told me what a big fat liar I was, which is true, but in this case, it was unintentional. I lie for a living, by the way. <laughs> I've become familiar with him over the years. I'm very, very fond of him. I hate, again, this is, shouldn't be, should just be on a psychiatrist's couch somewhere, not on front of the camera, but uh, you kind of, uh, it's like putting on an old pair of, running shoes or you know that pair of jeans your lucky pair of jeans once you uh get into his uh mind uh it's really welcoming i mean it's liberating in a way because he gets to do so many things that i can't do in civilized society i mean i love his ego i love his humor um his theatricality uh you know, I, I really enjoy him. Ray Wise is an interesting choice to voice Commissioner James Gordon. So how did you, what was your approach to Gordon? Did, you, did any of the other performances kind of, you know, creep up on you or just look at it fresh? I've seen them, but uh, I like Gary Oldman. Yeah. yeah fine, you know, um, but nothing like that. You know, I'm, uh, I, I'm not very good at impersonations anyway, so it wouldn't work. I, I just took it as a, a, from a fresh approach, my my character, and uh, I tried to I tried to be a good father and a good friend to Batman, a good police commissioner, and that was my mission. So was that the appeal, the fatherly side of it? You no, know, the appeal was that you know I, I love the story, you know the the killing joke, the original graphic story, and. Uh, I've been a Batman fan since, you know, I can eight, ten years old, right? Um, that's a long time ago. <laughs> and, you know, for me, Kevin, Kevin will always be Batman. He opens his mouth and that's it. <laughs> you know, uh, he's, uh, he is, he's, in my mind, he's uh, my image of Batman. And um, so it was, a, it was a thrill just to be doing it with Kevin and and the lovely Tara, who plays my daughter. And uh, the writing was great. Uh, the direction was great. And, and I, just saw the, I just saw this uh, for the first time a couple of days ago. And I was thrilled with it. And it's, it's, it's a hell of a good movie. And um, it's very film noirish, like a, like a 40s, very dark, good detective story. And uh, with some modern twists, and uh, the characters are great. All the incidental characters are marvelous. Uh, great, great actors, great voice actors, and they really, they really bring it. 
they uh, they not only do the voice, you can feel the acting behind it, you know, and uh, that's pretty special for an animated film. Kind of when we were uh, uh, when we had to do some uh, ADR work, you know, we were able to see the movies, so parts of it anyway, and and some of the other characters in the scene with you, and you and you were able to respond then, but. Uh, Originally doing it, we just uh, kept doing our lines over and over and tried to and tried to do them as well as we could and try to improve on each take. I uh, I was a I was a little leery of it, you know, because uh, Kevin has such a you know a commanding voice as Batman, and then Tara does such a wonderful job that uh, I thought well, you know if I'm, I'm going to hear me, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to like me so much. But I turned out liking me a lot, so <laughs> it just you know you never know you know you feel like uh, maybe it's not going to be so great. It turns out to be all right. So I uh, I was very I was very pleased with it. They do everything, so why can't we? <laughs> and I think all the major networks have to follow suit one day soon. You know I, I I I'm doing this soap opera, kind of moonlighting on a soap opera also called Young and the Restless, and they won't even let me say damn or bitch or bastard. And if and if if you do, they only let you say one or two of them per show. I thought, come on, you know, let's let's, let's, let's be real about it. And uh, everybody else is doing it, and major networks have to follow suit, or else they can't compete. You watch a network show now, and it's like, ah, am I killing my career right here? <laughs> As I speak, not that I wouldn't do a network show. <laughs> I mean, it's like it felt—it felt just like a regular movie to me, you know, like a really good person movie, not just animation. It, it was wonderful, so I recommend it highly, and uh, and also buy the DVD because I get a little bit. Yes. Okay. Hey, thank you for listening to Sci-Fi Talk, but stick around. I have more. Let's get back to Sci-Fi Talk. I'm Tony Tolado. As she did in the animated series, Tara Strong once again voices Batgirl in a pivotal story for this character. I think Barbara's the star of the show. I think... When I was watching it, I watched it on uh, Monday of this week, and I'm like, I am the star of this movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she has an integral part, and the way they weaved in the extra story is so seamless. It just seems like it was always part of the original comic. It was, it's really, really well written and animated, and all the people acting in it are so wonderful. There's so many moments where you're like, wow, that's so good. It's just really a lot of great, great moments in animation history in this one film. Part of me is happy because there are some shocking moments, so I sort of felt them organically as an actress while going through them with with Batgirl. Um, and I don't know if I knew that before, may have sort of tainted how organic those moments were. In retrospect now, I wish I had, but I, I, when I was really little, I loved Batgirl. I, I collected Batgirl and comics and toys and all kinds of stuff, and then I took a little break, probably the killing joke break. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for me it worked, because it was just as shocking 
as if it was happening to be on camera or whatever, just visualizing all these, visualizing all these moments that were happening. I think the emotional elements of relationships in this movie are heightened beyond anything we've seen before in any Batman incarnation. Yeah, I mean, she's not that fragile in the killing joke, but there's certainly some vulnerable moments for her. Uh, playing Harley is so the opposite end of the coin, I mean, and I feel very blessed to have been able to play both characters, because Batgirl is pretty much the only thing I do that's my own voice. And then Harley is so not my own voice, which would be it's great because then I'd have no friends if I talked like that all the time. <laughs> but she's so crazy that I always say like I get all my frustrations out doing Harley. <laughs> you have a bad day. It's like funny sometimes when you're doing a video game, you sort of dread those sessions because it's just you for four hours doing you know a thousand death towers. Oh really? But anytime it's Harley, I'm like okay. <laughs> she's just so much fun and she's so crazy. And I think the freedom to explore all these different levels with her is so much fun. So it's just like two completely opposite ends of the scale of, you know, character. Find when you voice one and then do the other or vice versa helps you to kind of see what that character is like. You see Batgirl better because you're doing Harley and the reverse. Oh, that's an interesting question. Maybe in some way, yeah. I haven't thought of that, but yeah. Because when I was younger doing Batgirl alongside Hamill and Conroy, and the amazing Miss Sorkin was doing Harley, it was just like, oh, she's crazy. But then you get to her, and you get into her skin, and you realize that she's just so in love, and would do anything for love, and so loyal and devoted, and it's like, you certainly have a sympathy for her. Um, I'd say that's probably true. For my own journey, it's really been sort of an authentic, organic journey because when I first moved from Toronto to Los Angeles, it was like a couple of years after I'd been here, I booked Batgirl. And so I was really like new in LA, working alongside these greats. And I was a little girl, I was 20, but I looked like 14, but anyway. Um, so, and then this natural transition to where she is today, so much in my life has happened too. So it's, it's the same person of having gone through all these life experiences. There's a similarity to that between her and I. And, you know, when you're acting in these moments, you just visualize them in your head and you go through these journeys with them. And when I'm imagining what she's going through and then I'm reading the lines, it's like I'm actually in those moments. I see those moments. I cry in sessions or I, you'll never see a voice actor just standing like this, you know, they're really like into it emotionally within the parameters of the microphone and she's just gets to explore so many emotional levels in this one that she never has before, never, or in all the incarnations of that Definitely the darkest any of them have ever gone. It's so cool because it's so real, like the moments are, you can visualize all the moments in an on-camera film, they're so real and they're so dark and emotionally very charged. Um, for me with the video games, there's a lot of dark stuff with Harley but not Batgirl, so this is the first time I've really done very dark with her. I mean, in the original character description, she's dark. She's serious and 
She's no bubbles <laughs> She's got, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So this is just that next level, although it's probably a leap of a few levels. I do think it'd be really fun if I had like a Stanley cameo. Like I, I was telling Kevin and Bruce it'd be fun if we were like all sitting at a diner and Margot Robbie walks by and we're like <laughs> I think that'd be fun. The, the women superheroes are, uh, because there's a lot of great female fans now, they're really kind of going through almost a renaissance, and really Wonder Woman and Batman versus Superman has sparked a lot of interest. So what's that like uh, as a woman and a, one who voices superheroes that, that the gals are kind of getting their... They are, and it's really exciting, and um, I feel really honored to represent her and um, portray this strong woman that also is still a woman and has a lot of vulnerability, which you'll see in the film. Um, and it's nice for girls to have good role models, and obviously Batgirl has always been a really great role model, and I love the surgeons of strong female characters and um, getting the opportunity to play so many is just, I pinch myself all the time um, and there's a level of responsibility that comes with that too and you know sometimes I'm like, oh can you do this movie, it'll be on camera thing, you just have to do something sexually explicit or do something like this and I'm like, oh no, 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 <laughs> like, you know, my fans are 10 year old girls, I can't have them downloading <laughs> any nude anything, you know, and you really want to make sure that you're always sort of representing like you know something that girls would want to be and want to become and I hear all the time it's because of you I want to be a voice actor you know because of you I got through my parents divorce and watching this helped me through depression and it's nice I mean being able to hear from the fans is really nice directing the project is Sam Liu I always look at like these uh, these like stories as puzzles and um a lot of times, like, you know, I'll get a sense of it after I sort of read the script, you know, and so I, I feel like, you know, obviously knowing, you know, the, the source material and kind of what it is, I was, I was a lot more interested in sort of like how this, the prologue was going to be and how it fits into the story. And um, so I had a lot of questions, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that sort of, I was like, oh, really? Is this how, is this how, what you want? And um, so again, for me, it was, it was more of a puzzle, like, okay, how do I make it? flow into, um, I don't know if I was, you know, again, like necessarily like super excited to, but I, I was more intrigued by sort of like the, the, the challenge of, of how do you sort of take something that's so iconic and that there's so much expectations upon it, um, and then add this other thing, and how, and how do they fit into each other, and how do they, how do they relate, you know? Um, you know, it's weird, because like, I mean, if you, I think, you probably ask Bruce this, I think he would say that, I think they work as almost like two separate things, um, but for me, I was like, uh, I, I need to connect it somehow, you know, and so, um, like, obvious sort of, like, plot-wise, they don't really connect, except for its back role, but I feel like emotionally it connects, if that makes sense. I kind of feel like one sort of sets up Batman to be in this emotional sp space uh, by the time Killing Joke starts. Um, I think that's always the hard thing for, you know, the stuff that we do because, um, you know, outside of, uh, you know, it being a, uh, you know, like a movie length thing is like, re realistically, our budgets and our schedules are the same as TV, you know, and so um, there's a lot of things that we try to R&D and there's a lot of things that we try to, um, you know, accommodate for our limited, you know, time and budget. Um, so, um, 
it would be impossible or we would need a huge, huge budget to animate it exactly like the, the, the Bolland uh, style. And so um, when we, I remember when we were talking, like Bruce had mentioned, well, what about um, you know, Kevin Nolan? Because uh, there's stuff that, you know, in, in, in some of Kevin's earlier work that kind of reminded him of, of some of the stuff that Bond had kind of done, you know? And so, um, and, his, and that style was a lot more simplified than what Bond was doing. So we said, okay, well, when we should take a look at that and sort of design around that with Bond in mind. Um, but then again, there's even a drop off once it gets animated, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, I think the intent was to sort of make it like a, a simplified Bolland um, style, um, but again, it, it always gets homogenized down to kind of what it is. I mean, it makes it it makes it easier because it's almost like you have great instruments. If that makes sense, you know. But if you don't have, like, I think, like a good you know musical plan, then I think it's a waste, you know. But so I think um, it, it was more sort of like how do you take how great they are and sort of. Push them into like to what you need, you know. And again, it's it's an emotional kind of story. So I think for me, I mean, obviously, it's it's amazing having them, and they're such good, not just voice actors, but they're such good actors. Um, with some of our sort of pushing, like you know, this is where they are emotionally. This is, this is you know what I need right here. It's, it's it made my job definitely easier because uh, I think it hits the deep emotional things that we, we need, for, especially for the story. So uh, so it was great. I asked him if there could be any more R-rated animated projects. Um, I think I think depending on how you know this does, you know, I mean, obviously the fear is sort of like you know is the R rating going to restrict basically what you know sales. Um, but uh, I think the, the whole demographic of kind of what we're doing with this is mainly targeted towards older, you know, um, fans versus, you know, specifically kids. Um, but I, th I think uh, the sales on this is going gonna, is gonna to be telling. But I think that they're interested, I mean, given the, you know, the, the sales so far, you know. Um, but I think, you know, again with Bruce and them, like, they're not going to try to do anything super gratuitous or something like that. It really just depends on the story, I think. Adapting the graphic novel is writer Brian Azzarello. This is, uh, talk about adapting a beast. This was a, a big one to tackle. My biggest concern was uh, making sure that it seemed like it was always there, some of the stuff. I mean, some of the stuff you're going to, when you see it, you'll obviously, like the first third of the movie, which is really addressing Barbara Gordon more. So she's not just there to be shot, which is all she was in the, in the original book. But we wanted to you know, give her an actual character, give her a character arc. She has a very, very definite character. I mean, it w originally, it was originally what they hired me to do was to just uh, tell the original killing joke, and it was going to be, I think it was going to be like forty minutes long, or was it going to be long or a very? Uh, it wasn't going to be full length, so they were going to release it at a lower price point, that kind of stuff. Um, and even then, it was Bruce said, you're going to have to add about 15 minutes worth of material there. But, but now, since that point, I mean, this, this has gone through, this is the third time. It, fi it finally is coming out. The first time uh, was, the first and second time, it was just a killing joke. The third time when we went to redress it, it was... Uh, they got the green light to make make it a feature. That's like then Bruce and Alan Burnett came to me and said, "What do you want to do to make this longer? What would you do? What do you think's lacking in the first?" One? And 
I immediately said, well, Barbara Gordon doesn't have a story. And they were thinking along those same lines exactly. And it's like, that's exactly what we wanted you to say. And I'm like, Phew. Was there any source material that you took the Barbara Gordon stuff from? No, it's all, all new stuff. Did you, when you were writing, did you picture somebody's voice? No, you know, somebody else asked me that too, but no, I don't. I mean, the only voice I have is mine, because I'm the one writing the dialogue, and I'm saying it to make sure it sounds right. And after seeing it, this is, this is kind of, uh, I mean, I've had limited experience with this, that it's, it's really weird to see stuff, to hear stuff I've written, you know, and to actually hear these actors give it some emotion. It's like, wow. It's like, no, I was told to just stay true to the source material. And then, um, but there was, I was never told to tone anything down. If anything, I would I would amp it up a little bit. I amped it up a little bit because I figured, oh, they're going to tell me to tone, tone it down right. anyway. Maybe we can get back to where we're supposed to be. So they never, they never, uh, you know, they're going to think it's a background movie. Or, but Batman's in it. <laughs> I mean, it's still Batman. So it's going to be like a background movie that takes this, this sudden turn? It's just... No. It's, I think it works... It holds together really well. I mean, it, it explores more of her relationship uh, with Batman. Because it is... I mean, Batman is all through the... the the uh, beginning of it is I know who she is from the comics. <laughs> you know, I've done it. I know who that character is. I mean, her her character in Killing Joke. I mean, let's you know, let's not kid around. She's there to make Coco get shot and get and uh, cry in the hospital. That's not a good character arc for her. <laughs> so you know, I wanted to give her. Because, you know, the Joker's character is really well-defined and, and well-presented, and so is Batman's in this, and so is Gordon's. And it's like, she was really the weak link. I wanted to make her stronger. I want you to give a shit when she gets shot. <laughs> What's so special about that Batman versus the Joker? Why Why is it endured so long? What do you think of Cesar Romero, I guess? <laughs> Yeah, my introduction to Batman was Batman television show. Okay, that's where I first knew Batman. And there, even then, there was something about the Joker that was like, that's the villain. That, you know, that's his, his main villain. Not the Penguin or the Catwoman or... Even though I had fondness for all three Catwomen. But, uh, there was something about jo the Joker, even then. It's like, that's the opposite side of the coin. I, mean, I think it's, it's really well constructed. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the art's fantastic, and the, the actual story that Alan wrote—it's it's great. You know? And it really sort of does distill the character down. You know, and it, but when I'm writing it, when I was writing it, you know, what, that's when I stopped just reading it. And I had to dissect it and get into it. And it's like right from the beginning, it's like, I'm like. Batman would never go into Arkham Asylum and say, we got to come to an understanding. That's just not in that guy's character, but that's the way he is. Batman the Killing Joke is now available on DVD. As I always recommend, you can get the DVD or the Blu-ray with the download option. Yeah, there's also a limited edition with a little statuette of the Joker himself. I, I really like that one. That's pretty cool, including a special comic that comes with it, too. 
Thanks so much for listening. Always great to hear the late, great Kevin Conroy. This is Tony Tolado. Until next time.